0: mm Hello! It's Monday, and the readings today are, well, they're wonderful. Well, they, they always are. Let's pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the nations by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us, by that same Spirit, to have right judgment in all things, and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Saint Michael, the archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the heavenly host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, let's open up the big book on the coffee table. On this feast of St. Anthony the Abbot. Which is a, a big deal. That, that early monasticism is really interesting. I studied a lot when I was in school. And, uh, interesting. They were... Oh, of course, many times. And I, I love when he yells at the devil and says, "I ah, get out of here. You don't have any you know, power, uh, since, uh, since the crucifixion, there's a story about St. Anthony in the desert is, I think it's St. Anthony. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, St. Anthony, I believe. Yeah. yeah. The, he was preceded by St. Paul, the hermit who was his kind of inspiration, but so yeah, this it's interesting that, uh, we don't think of that as, as being a useful vocation, but it is very useful. If you really believe this stuff, a monastic vocation is intensely useful because, again, St. Paul says in his letter to the Ephesians, it is not against flesh and blood that we war, but against principalities and powers. And we so think that that, that we can use fleshly weapons, carnal weapons, to, to conduct a spiritual warfare. And you can't. Uh, the 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 the, i I think that's a fascinating thing that um uh, i don't know if anybody's ever written a treatise on it the the battles of people who are cloistered against the devil Uh, i look at padre pio i'm I'm totally off the track the topic and i want to i want to get to the topic here um but uh, padre pio and his battles against the devil uh who 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 also
1: I was just going to say, Peng- this is live. Penguin Classics has a really great book called "Early Christian Lives" that go over a lot of the a lot of the early monastics in Christianity. And the, yeah. story- the stories are are kind of crazy. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean they they, they, they are. live some intense lives.
0: They did very intense and very fruitful lives. Well, did scroll scroll you do? You know, no, yeah, they, yeah, they didn't waste all their time on social media. <laughs> so, yeah, they they did battle with the with the enemy and. Uh, you know, if um, you think a lot of people think all think of that as sort of mythology. Well, <laughs> after you've met a few exorcists, you find out. Oh no, this stuff goes on. But I don't want to go there. I want to go to the readings. It's it's his first Samuel, the fifteenth chapter. Now, let us recapitulate. Um, we start off with the story of Samuel being uh, brought to the the temple at Shiloh, not Jerusalem, but Shiloh, and uh, where the ark was was. Uh, being kept and uh, he is a servant in the temple and he hears a voice calling him Samuel Samuel and Eli the priest says next time you hear it say speak Lord your servant and listens and the voice is of course the Lord and tells Samuel that I am going to uh, destroy the house of Eli his sons Hophni and and and, and Phineas are are corrupt and uh, he doesn't he doesn't do anything about it and so uh, the, the house was destroyed. The Ark of the Covenant was lost. Uh, it was it was taken to uh, uh, it was taken to uh, uh, Philistia, and uh, that's sort of a side story. But the people come to to uh, Samuel and say, "We want a king. We want to be like everybody else." And isn't God your king? Now, Samuel was hoping to put his sons in place of him as judges over Israel. And uh, so Samuel isn't isn't perfect in all of this mess. But, uh, uh, as you know, we, we want a king. And the Lord says, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. Give him a king. <laughs> It'll serve them right. <laughs> That's exactly what's going on there. And so this brings us up to the place. And we, we would have seen it. Let me see if that was when that was. Oi. The the choosing of, of Saul as uh, the king of Israel. Um, Saul is looking for lost donkeys, and lo and behold, uh, Samuel uh, uh, kind of gets him out of the way and says, "You're going to be the king," and so he is. And and we read that. Let me see if I can find it. Nope, we don't. Where did I put it? Where to put that reading? I want. I think it was a Saturday read. Uh, it was this last uh, reading. Now, very interesting. Uh, and the reason I want to bring up Saturday's reading is because it's going to be important uh, in in the choosing of David. There was a stalwart man from Benjamin named Kish, who was the son of Abiel, son of Zeror, son of Bekorah, son of Afia, a Benjaminite. I, I've explained how the last names worked. It was son of, son of, son of, son of, so that this genealogy was very important because, oh, that's a relative of mine. Or it's not a relative of mine he had a son named Saul who was a handsome young man he stood head and shoulders but he was tall and manly and handsome and he's off looking for donkeys and uh, uh, Samuel poured anointing oil on Saul's head now what's this business with oil let me let me take a side trip um, why do we use oil why why anointing oil well in the ancient world oil was used for light it was used medicinally it was used for food it was used the way we use uh, you know body lotion or hand cream uh, I don't know if you've ever had this experience but certainly if you live in the frozen Midwest as do I you would have had this experience on a cold dry winter day when your lips are chapped and about to fall out, out of your face you go into the drugstore and you buy some chapstick or you know some, some thing to smear on your lips and you can't wait to get the package off, and and smear it on your lips. I mean, your lips are burning from the dryness of things. Well, they lived in a hot, dry climate, and, and it wasn't humid, and so they. Oil kept them healthy, and uh, um, the symbolism of oil. This is how I look at it. That. The Holy Spirit is, is, this isn't a good theological definition, but I think it's a useful practical one. The Holy Spirit can be thought of as God's sensed presence. It isn't always sensed, but the Holy Spirit is the breath of God. God's presence unseen, but uh, frequently can be deeply felt. Well, the symbol of oil is saying that The presence of God, the Holy Spirit, is as good for the soul as as uh, lip balm is for the lips. So that's the symbolism. It's as good for the soul. The Holy Spirit is as good for the soul as chapstick is for the lips. Not to endorse this uh, product. But uh, uh, that's what's going on. That's why there's anointing. And so Saul gets anointed, uh, and he's made king, and it's all going swimmingly. Except we get to today's reading. Now that 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 Saturday reading was um, that was way back. That was uh, chapter uh, nine. Now read the whole thing. And this is a wonderful story. So so take the time out to, to open you know you know blow the dust off the book on the coffee table. Open it up and read the first uh, book of Samuel. <clears throat> wonderful stuff. All right, let me get back to it. Well, no, oh dear, we have uh, a problem here. The slaughter of the Amalekites. Why would God do a thing like this? There comes a point in a person's history or in a nation's history when the, when the Lord seems to decide that enough is enough. Um, Now, I'm going to step out on a limb here, um, a very politically incorrect limb. Um, Revisionists like to say that the Europeans were all evil and the Native Americans were all good. And the truth is that the, um, the conquistadores, the Europeans, were sinful people, and the Native Americans were sinful people, and I'm a sinful person and so are you. At the time of the conquest of Mexico... It is estimated that 60,000 people a year were killed on the altars. Their chests would be ripped open uh, with a, with a, uh, a volcanic glass knife, and their still beating hearts would be ripped out of their bodies and held up to the sun god. It was believed that the gods needed human blood to keep going. There was a particular god, Tlaloc, the rain god who would only accept the sacrifice of children. And of those 60,000 estimated uh, sacrifices, uh, you know, you talk different people get different estimates, but they were a lot. Half of them were children because Tlaloc only accepted children as sacrifices. And, uh, the children had to be crying when they were offered up so when their little chests were ripped open and their hearts ripped out they had to be crying when it happened and if they weren't they would be roughed up on the way to their top of the pyramid what a terrible thing to say about you know how dare well we've done infinitely worse in our times I tell you that story about uh, about the the um, the conquest of the Americas. It's, it's factual. It really is. Um, I tell you that story because not to point out how bad they were, but how much worse we are. And you know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about abortion that we sacrificed untold millions of children to our gods. You know, the gods of prosperity, the gods of beauty, the gods of convenience. Those are our gods. That's what we worship. Uh, wealth. These are, these are what we really worship. Uh, so, um, we're in much greater danger. My point is this: there comes a point where the evil is so great that the Lord says, "Enough is enough." He said that with the Canaanites who loved child sacrifice. God hates um, the abuse of children. Uh, read the Gospels. Jesus uh, loved little children and. When we use them for our own purposes, we invite the wrath of God. I don't need to go into recent history, but, you know, um, God, this is one of the things that I really believe, God has a rather short fuse about this, and a rather complete solution. Nine out of ten indigenous people in the Americas, it is thought eight or nine out of ten, died. uh, Because... Uh, not not simply by conquest, but by Native American diseases. When the pilgrim, or er, uh, European diseases, to which the Native Americans had no defense. Well, how could God do such a thing? It's a matter of the evil has to end. And, you know, I, I, I hesitate to say this. Well, not everyone was doing this, it was a very general practice. Human sacrifice, especially child sacrifice and child slavery, certainly... Uh, the, the uh, uh, Southeastern uh, United States indigenous people seem to have done it, but certainly the Aztecs and the Inca did it. Uh, so, it, and the, the Maya did it. This was, enough was enough. And uh, I just, I think of people like Joe and Ann Scheider, make Joe rest in peace. And, and people like that who are, they're all but standing in the breach, I really believe. Uh, And They've done such a job to, to defend this country against this horrible evil. Well, what's he talking about? I'll get there. I'll get there. Now, the Canaanites, the Canaanites also practiced human sacrifice. Now, these are the Amalekites, and we don't quite know who the Amalekites were. They seem biblically to have been descendants of Esau, thus relatives of the Israelites. But more probably, that name was applied to a wider group of Bedouin who had just had it out for Israel. And uh, God said, enough is enough. And I want you to put them under the ban. So this idea of putting someone under the ban, our nation may well be put under the ban. In fact, is a lot of, of the world right now, I suspect, is under a ban. Seriously. You know, uh, look at the population statistics. We are about to experience a major drop in population, and that's because that's what we want. We don't think we want it, but we we want the 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 uh, enough. I talk about this entirely too much. Let's get back to the reading. I'm sorry. Well, go put the sinful Amalekites under a ban of destruction and uh, fight against them till you've exterminated them. And he, Saul was supposed to. Not take any spoils, he was supposed to wipe them out, even the cattle. Well, what did the cattle do? Well, no, it was a matter of of what the Amalekites could do with the cattle. And it was a matter of, well, what about the people who didn't do that? They permitted it. They did nothing to stop it. Well, let's get back to Saul. Why have you disobeyed the Lord? Saul answered, Samuel, I obeyed the Lord and fulfilled the mission the Lord sent me. I brought back Agag, the king of Amalek. I've destroyed Amalek under the ban, but from the spoil, the men took sheep and oxen. The best of what had been banned to sacrifice to the Lord their God in Gilgal, which was a a cult center, a, a religious center for Israel. But Samuel said, "Does the Lord so delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obedience to the command of the Lord? Obedience is better than sacrifice, submission than the fat of rams for sin? For a sin like divination is rebellion, and presumption is the crime of idolatry. Because you've rejected the command of the Lord, He too has rejected you as ruler. Saul lost the crown because he didn't know. About his own sin, Scripture says elsewhere, "From my unknown sin, deliver me." Saul, this is the tragedy. Of this passage, Saul really thought he was obeying God. He wasn't. He wanted to bring Agag and the best of the sheep and oxen and etc. to his his cat, to a a place where people could see. Oh, this is the great king Saul who loves God and is obeying God and conquered the Amalekites who have been who have been attacking us since we got to this country. Um. Oh, Saul is God's man. Saul wanted to offer the sacrifice to the greater honor and glory of Saul he wanted to use agag and the spoils for his own political purposes you see so often i think i'm obeying god when i'm really obeying my own my own desires we read uh, uh presumption is the crime of idolatry what does that mean well i could never believe in a god who wouldn't allow this or a god who would do that i can't believe in a god who would have put the ban- amalekites under the ban i'm sorry i can't believe in a god like that oh you are the judge of god now presumption is the crime of idolatry in other words when i become god's judge When I decide to make up my own God, to shape God in my own image and likeness, according to my own preferences, sins, and desires, I'm creating an idol in my own image. What did Mark Twain say, that God created man in his image and likeness, and ever since then, man has returned the favor? I couldn't believe in a God who would or who wouldn't. Well, so you want God to look like you. Cardinal George, um, uh, I don't know if he's quoting someone, but he often would say that uh, when you when you uh, make up your own religion, you find pretty soon that you're worshiping yourself. I would never commit idolatry. I commit it all the time, every time I think God's gotta agree with me instead of me agreeing with God. This invites disaster. And Saul had convinced himself that he was honoring God, and I convince myself that I'm virtuous because I have such high standards that I apply to God you got to obey God. Now, people say, well, I'm obeying God. I won't obey human beings. Well, God usually speaks through human beings. But the great and the lowly, the important and the small, all must obey. This is a king. This is Saul. This isn't some, you know, he, well, he's the top of the pyramid, and, you know, people have to obey him. no. People may have to obey him, but then he's got to obey God. If you are in a position of authority, are you obeying God, or are you simply making rules according to your own personal preferences? Hath God said? Hath God said? The first question asked of humanity is, hath God said? The devil said it to Eve in the garden. Hath God said that you may not eat the fruit of the trees? Oh, no. No. He shook her grasp of what God had said and she soon substituted her own wants for the commands of God. And so often people in authority think that they are not bound to obedience themselves but others are bound in obedience to them. You know, the, 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 the government makes this rule or that rule. Why are they making it? People in authority, make this rule, make that rule. Is it because it's right and true and good? Well, I hope so. Because if you're obeying your own whims, you're not obeying God. If you are in a position of authority, think very well and very wisely. Hath God said. Hath God said. All right, with that pleasant thought, let's take a break and we'll go to... uh, letters when we get back and we'll open the phones 888-914-9149 that's 888-914-9149 today's programming is sponsored in part by saint gregory recovery center more information about their catholic-centered recovery from substance abuse is available at relevantradiocom radio.com slash sd gregory well, hello, here we are. Okay, where, where, where am I going here, where am I going, all right. Let us then go to letters. This letter, um, oh, I answered this about the Blessed Mother wearing a veil, that's because everybody did then, and um, you know, when I was a boy... Women always wore veils in church. That Jewish custom kind of continued. And, you know, a woman had to have her head covered because the Bible said a woman praying or prophesying without her head cover is a shame. And that verse, I think, makes feminists go crazy. But if you understand the context, it makes a lot more sense uh, um, that uh, that it was about this is going to say, this will make a feminist howl nonetheless. But, uh, that, that the beauty of women is distracting even to the angels, the scripture says. It's in, it really is in the Bible. And a woman with her head uncovered in the ancient world was not a woman of good reputation. I'll leave it at that. Uh, that has changed. But there's still a biblical principle going on here. That, that um, one needs to dress appropriately so that one does not draw attention to oneself. And that applies to men as well as women. You know, that, that uh, sometimes we dress for church in a way that is so utterly flamboyant that um, we're, again, seeking to glorify ourselves and not God. Or we wear enough cologne to gag a goat. And uh, we're, again, drawing attention to ourselves. And we should dress very well for church in a way that is respectful yet not provocative, and that's the principle of head covering in, in St. Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. And that's generally why the Blessed Mother was shown is shown generally with her head covered, because it's a sign of, of humility and, and respect for God and women. And uh, that is no longer understood. It's no longer the principle, though a lot of women still do wear head coverings in church. <clears throat> but the the cultural milieu that that demands that has changed. Uh, it, it's not a problem, but you know it's a free country where what you want to provide it's respectful and and not uh, provocative. Uh, but um, I I often tell you that the Bible is not just a book of rules, it's a book of principles, and the principle of women covering their heads in church really is uh, something that applies to men and women both, that one should dress respectfully, not provocatively, not to draw attention to yourself, but to glorify the Lord. So there, that's my, that's my, uh, my story and I'm sticking to it. All right, let's go to where I have another letter here that I wanted to pontificate about. Have I got it here? Okay. <clears throat> Why the change from cup to chalice? Did Jesus really use a chalice? That's because that's what's in the Latin text. The Greek word is a potirion, a drinking vessel, which could be a cup, it could be a chalice. However, the reason that we went back to the use of chalice instead of cup is to more accurately translate the Latin text. Well, why did they use chalice in Latin? Well, out of, again reverence for, for, uh, what the Lord did. Uh, uh the word in Greek is, is, potirion, which means a drinking vessel. Uh, it doesn't mean cup. It doesn't mean chalice. It means potirion, a drinking vessel. And what they seem to have used in the early church would have been these double handled, uh, uh, uh drinking vessels and that's why the deacon heaves the chalice at communion because it was too heavy for us old presbyters to do that's what i was taught that may be true however we changed the word back to chalice because we're the latin right and we don't want to get too far from the latin text of the mass least that's what I understood all right let me see I got another oh don't tell me I lost the letters here I probably did. didn't did lose them just they turned off while I was ignoring them okay come on come on uh I I got again uh, a letter and you know I, I hesitate to to uh answer this because it's a very simple question but I answer it like once a week I think um that why if the prophecy says thou shalt call his name Immanuel, uh, they called his name Jesus. Does it mean the same thing? No, it doesn't mean the same thing. Emmanuel means God is with us. And Jesus was about the most common name, one of the very most common names that, that a Jew at the time of Christ would have used. Uh, only more common than that was the name Mary. And According to St. Clement of Alexandria, who wrote, I think, uh, I want to put around the 180s AD, kind of close to the fact, he said Jesus wasn't called Yeshua, which was the Aramaic version of Yehoshua, which means Joshua. So in Aramaic, you get Yehoshua, which means the Lord has saved. And then in, or rather in Hebrew, you get Yehoshua. Then in Aramaic, you get Yeshua, but he was called by the short form of it, St. Clement of Alexandria said, Yeshu, which makes sense to me because that comes into Greek as Yesus because they don't have the sh sound and they have to end things with an S or an A or something similar uh, frequently. And that came into Latin as Yesus, which comes into English as Jesus. So that's how we get it. Yehoshua to Yeshua to Yeshu, to Jesus in Greek and Latin and Jesus in English, Um Yeshu. Let's think about that. That was the short form of Yahushua, which means the Lord saves. It's the equivalent of Josh. At the name of Josh, every knee must bend, every tongue proclaim to the honor and glory of God that that Josh is Lord. I mean, Josh? Yeah, it was about the same uh, colloquial value. It was just Plain old Josh. In other words, if the word Emmanuel means God is with us, Jesus, the Son of God when he was made incarnate, expressed his humility and solidarity by having such a common name. So Mary and Jesus are names befitting for someone who is God with us. All right. Uh Okay, let's move along here. Uh, Nothing to see here. This is a, a fascinating letter from... Eva, um, uh, the friendly evangelical in Wisconsin. Uh, In Galatians, again, this is about pharmakia, in Galatians 5.20, when Paul lists the deeds of the flesh, the word pharmakia appears. From the context, we can tell that everything in that list is rooted in selfishness. When the word pharmakia is translated as witchcraft or sorcery, we understand from the context the use of pharmakia means use of potions to do harm. Vine's Expository Dictionary includes the qualifier in its definition of pharmakia, Professedly designed to keep the applicant or patient from the attention and power of demons, but actually to impress the applicant with the mysterious resources and powers of the sorcerer. Trying to treat disease from honest motives to alleviate suffering is not an attempt to do harm. Uh, the motive guides our understanding of the meaning of the word. That's excellent. Thank you, Eva. It says it far more concise than I ever could, that uh, pharmakia in revelations means sorcery, but in other places it clearly means the use of herbs for healing, which is something that we do to this day. Okay, let's see here. This is oh this is from Enrique, who's in Honduras. <laughs> oh dear, I hope you are well enjoying the chill of the season. In my case, it is a respite a respite from the heat of the tropics. Oh, tropics. Okay. I noticed in today's gospel that the leper does not ask our Lord to be healed but to be cleansed. Jesus does not say you are healed, but be made clean. Wouldn't it be scandalous that our Lord usurps the job of a priest? he says be made clean he didn't say I cleanse you and what is going on here he then goes on to say do what the law of Moses requires but yeah I I think I shared with you the other day that I suspect this guy was put up to it uh, trying to debunk and uh, uh, cause a scandal with Jesus that he was that would be usurping the job of the priest. The, the leper says, if you want, you can cleanse me. He says, I do. Will it be cleansed? Show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifice prescribed by Moses. So Jesus is using his power as, as, as Messiah to, he, to heal. But then he says, finish the cleansing ritual. So he doesn't get caught in the trap that they had set for him. And he also interestingly says, uh, now go show yourself to the priest. That should be proof for them. Interesting. So very, very interesting. Let me take one more letter here, and then we'll go to our break. Let's see here. This is episode info. Um, can you please uh, tell the episode in which Father Simon tells the story about a little boy asking about God? Uh, Israel. I told it last week, I think on Thursday or Friday, didn't I?
1: Yeah, I, I don't recall which day, but either Thursday or Friday yeah. during a letter. It was Thursday or
0: Friday, and if it wasn't Thursday or Friday, it would have been Wednesday. So um, yeah, those, those are up on the website. There we go. Okay. Good morning, Father Simon. This is from somebody in L.A. Good luck with this. Uh, Corinna. And Aunt Corinna. At any rate, I would like to get some ideas on how to find truly silent moments in today's busy world to spend time just listening to the Lord. I already spend time praying the rosary daily, but my mind wanders at times. Well, that's all right if your mind wanders. Please suggest some ideas for silence in my day. First of all, if you are in a noisy place, get earplugs, those nice, soft, foam earplugs. I, I mean it. You know, and that, that applies to if you're in a church where you can't pray before Mass, uh, to prepare yourself for Mass because everybody's shouting and yelling, get some earplugs. You know, if, if people are going to be impolite and disregard the general instructor of the Roman Missal and yak in church, get some ear- I used to sit on occasion when I couldn't get them to shut up. <laughs> I would <laughs> I would put earplugs as I'm sitting in church trying to read my breviary. So, yeah, that's one thing. But, you know, this may sound, I don't know, Shallow, but, well, maybe it is. Say the prayer to the Holy Spirit and stare out the window. You know, to empty the mind, look at something beautiful. If you, if you have a garden that you can look at, and a lot of people don't even have that, just even to look up at the sky. Say the prayer to the Holy Spirit and just spend a few minutes looking at the sky. Well, that's not communicating with God. Well, no, it's giving God the opportunity to communicate with you. Uh, sometimes we make this so very, very technical and complicated. Uh, silence is as much as taking a deep breath and as you let it out saying, Jesus, I trust in you. and Just looking into the distance. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but I have no great mystical technique. It's, It's, you know, St. Augustine said about the Christian journey, to want to go is to go. So just, just... Uh, Just let the voice of my is reminding me that that uh, nature is one of the ways God communicates with us. So um, it's it's that simple. You know, we don't have to fill our minds with with, you know, it's a balance between structured prayer and unstructured prayer. I really think that I think of structured prayer as the bones (laughs) and unstructured prayer as the muscle. If you you know say, say well, we should just pray spontaneously to the Lord, well that's all muscle. They have nothing but a heap of muscles. You're going to be a mess, a pool on the floor. And of course, well I only pray structured prayers. Well, then you're going to be nothing but a framework. It's it's a combination of both. I really believe in structured prayer and I'm so grateful to God for the the rosary and the liturgy of the hours. Uh, you know, and I when I say the rosary the liturgy of the hours, I, I often my mind often wanders. I don't say it with fervent devotion but I'm carving some time out in which God can put some muscle on the bones. So it's it's a it's a balance of both structured prayer and unstructured prayer. All right, speaking of structures, let's go to a break. I'll come back with a word of the day which I think is cool. 888-914-9149 888-914-9149 We'll be right back. The Relevant Radio studio line is sponsored by Catholic Order of Foresters. Information about employment opportunities and their flexible premium life insurance plans available at relevantradio.com forester. Stevie Wonder. Good old Stevie Wonder. Well, let's let's. Uh, oh, 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 I want I want to share something with you. In solidarity with the March for Life, our annual hashtag fast, fast for Life is coming up this Friday. Tell us how you plan to pray and sacrifice for the unborn at RelevantRadio.com/fast. Now, also. Um, there is a, um, uh, let's see here if I can find it. Uh, there's a wonderful download at hashtag fast for life at relevantradiocom slash fast. That's relevantradiocom slash fast. And then you go look for hashtag fast for life. There's a wonderful download of the choice is love. Uh, and that, that will really help you in, in, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, in setting out why we believe what we believe about human life. So there you go. All right, let's go quickly to the word of the day. And I'm trying to find this in the, in the Septuagint, but I'm having uh, um, a hard time finding it. But it's I noticed that in the Hebrew text, which was translated for us, was it Sunday, yesterday? Uh as a young man marries a young woman, so will your builder marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will God rejoice over you. The word, you know, we always talk about Jesus as a carpenter, but the word was was tecton. Uh um I think that's very interesting. That that uh your builder uh uh will will, will marry you. I think that's a very beautiful thing, um, that Tecton was somebody who was in the building trades. And this passage from Isaiah, I'm going to have to look at this a little more closely, uh, because, uh, you know, the the um, uh, I, I can't quite find it in the Septuagint, which would be interesting to see if it was the same exact Greek word. But the idea that... that um, your builder will marry you is is a very beautiful thing so there you go all right that said in other words that jesus came as a carpenter because he was the builder and he he was the bridegroom for israel i think it's cool all right let's go to phone calls 888 914 888 914 Eight 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 nine one four nine one four nine. whom do we have on the line dear voice in my head Bob from Philly, are you with us, Bob? Yes. Good. What can Can I do for you? What? I can hear you, yes. I'm I'm having... Okay. (laughs) Can you hear me? Okay. I can hear hear you loud uh, and clear. My wife had an abortion about 30, actually about 31 years ago. Mm Mm-hmm. And um, I was of the world then, and... um,
1: You know, wanted all the money and the toys and all that, and and um, did all that, and was still hungry for more. So, and long story short, I became a Catholic. My mm-hmm, wife has yeah. always been a
0: Catholic. She still mm-hmm. believes that that was okay, and I can't get past it. As a matter of fact, now we do We really only live as brother and sister. And oh dear! It's, it's affected our ma- marriage. Sure. And yeah. Yeah. Now, normally I do this with women, <laughs> but I will do this with you. Yeah. Are you in some place where you can close your eyes? Yeah. You're not driving, so good. I'm not, All right. No, I'm not. I'm not driving. I want you to to close your eyes, and I want you to take a deep breath. And I want you to okay. imagine that you're holding that baby. Can you imagine that? Yeah. And I want you to imagine that Jesus is standing right in front of you. Okay. Give that baby to Jesus. Okay. Now I want you to say this out loud. Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus. Take care of my baby.
1: Take care of my baby.
0: Until I can receive him in heaven.
1: Until I can receive him in heaven.
0: Help me to love My wife.
1: Help me to love my
0: wife. And help her to see my point of view because she knows I love her.
1: And help her to see my point of view and that I love her.
0: I ask you to forgive her.
1: I ask you to forgive her.
0: And I ask you to forgive me.
1: And I ask you to forgive me
0: for what we did so many years ago.
1: For what we did so many years ago.
0: Lord, I ask you to, to bless my brother and to give him peace and to let him know that that you you love them both. And I ask you to restore his marriage and to restore his love for his wife and to give him patience with her and to give her patience with him until you see fit to show the truth of... of of repentance to her and i thank you for what you've done in his life and i ask you to make him everything that he needs to be may almighty god bless you the father the son and the holy spirit yeah i, I think that that's the thing you got to do i will be praying for you god bless you all right uh, yeah we do things when we're young and we pay the bills much later so all right let us uh, who we got now on the, the line Kenneth from Oceanside, are you with, I need a hey. deep breath after that, um, are you with us? What can I do for you? Yes, Father. I had a question about, uh, so sometimes I go to Mass and it's like really loud before Mass, trying to pray, and like, yeah. some people are having like conversation,
1: in the choir is like all sure. talking
0: loud, or, you know, Oh yeah, the game, and, and I'm like, and I get really, really uh, like distracted and, and start getting mad. And then I don't uh-huh. want to give dirty looks, and then I want to go tell no, the
1: fire no. like, "Hey, man, we're in man, or we're gonna no, go die,
0: uh, out. Just like I said earlier, go to the drugstore and get some of those foam earplugs, and just put them in your ears, and they'll they'll look at you like you're cross, like you're screwy. But who cares? I mean, that's what I would do. I would I would make sure oh. that uh, I never went to church without earplugs, and then I would uh, mm. I would kneel down and pray. I mean you'll feel like a fool you'll you look like you a wouldn't... fool good no i wouldn't confront them okay, i mean as a pastor you know i i i would and i did but it was of limited use um until the pastors yeah. on board with that it's going to be crazy you know that 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 oh, okay. um you know, you, you don't want to, you don't want to, there's a I remember, I'm always talking about biblical principles. In the Bible, it says one should not speak in tongues unless there's interpretation. We always used to worry in the prayer groups that we were praying in tongues the wrong way. That's not what the biblical principle is. You, you don't say something that someone else can't hear. That's that's what that means. And um, maybe by, you're sticking earplugs in your ears, they'll say, what do you, what do, you, what do, you, what do you, I want to pray, and you guys are talking so loud I can't. Maybe that example will yeah. be a more powerful testimony than reading them the Riot Act, because who are you to read them the Riot Act? Well, you're just obeying the general instructor yeah. of the Roman Missal. Yeah, that's what I do. And I, you know, and if your wife says, oh, don't do that, that looks so silly, say, I want to pray. That's not silly. <laughs> so mm-hmm. there you go. I want, to, I want to listen to God. So that's what I would do, and that's what I have done frequently. So... I think it's not a you know maybe we should have little little bowls of of earplugs at the at the uh, door of the church. If someone ever asks you the earplug, bring an extra little package and say, "I so I can pray before mass." You would you like some earplugs? <laughs> and they'll look at you like you're cross-eyed. It'll be fun. <laughs> Enjoy. No, All no, right. Big earmuffs. Yeah, yeah, you could do that too. Wear big earmuffs, and that would that would be kind. If you really want quiet. Get the earplugs and the earmuffs. That would be kind of cool if you sat down in church or knelt down and put on earmuffs. That would make the point eloquently. I think you've improved my suggestion. So here you go. All right. Hope that helps a little. <laughs> oh, dear. Maybe I've started something awful. <laughs> Who have we got now, dear voice in my head? Mary from Indiana. Are you with us? Yes, Father and we enjoy Good. your uh, show every day. My question well, you, is I'm in modern. the morning offering. In the morning offering, it says mm-hmm. the intentions of all our associates and the general intention
1: recommended this month. Wh-
0: mm-hmm. Who
1: are our associates and what is the in- intention of the month?
0: Well, the associates, the implication there, I think, is those who have asked us to pray for them. And the intention of the month is, is uh, the Holy Father, the Pope, uh, has a monthly intention, and that is published. Uh, voice of my head, do you know where that is published, the intention of the Pope? I
1: should know. Oh goodness! Um, I think they have it on the USCCB's website. I'll check. They have it.
0: On the, yes, that's. The, I believe that's that's the best place to get it. The USCCB site. That's the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops. You can just, if you just put in USCCB and do a web search, you'll find the site, and uh, you can find the the intention of the Holy Father for the month. But our associates, I think that that sometimes it is said, uh, those who have asked us to pray for them. So. Does that help? Yes, it
1: does. Thank there you, you very much.
0: <laughs> ah, yes. The Voice of Might is saying, yes, it is on the USCCB website. Where on the website will you find it? There's also little leaflets that they sometimes produce. Uh, I think what's the, is it called the Conference uh, of Prayer?
1: the Pope's Intentions. You'll get the entire calendar year. You get the Pope's monthly intentions for all of 2022. Yeah.
0: Yes. Okay. Well, thank you, Voice in My Head. Was that That went out live?
1: That was live. Yes, Father.
0: Good, good, good. All right. Well, thanks for calling. Thanks for listening. Who have we got now? Dear voice in my head. Christina, what can I do for you? Hi, hi, Father. Um, I really enjoyed your tidbit about the structured and unstructured prayer. That was very helpful. Okay. Um, and I wanted to continue on the topic of prayer. Um, okay. I often hear people say that, or not often hear people say, but I hear people say that um, everything they do is
1: prayer. They're going shopping. That's prayer. And I don't (laughs) quite understand that. I was wondering if you could uh, help me understand it.
0: They're they're convincing themselves that they're holier than they are. That's what, at least when I say everything I do is prayer, it means I'm not praying at all. No, you know, that... that, um, We should pray always, St. Paul says, so that when we're shopping and all that, we should be praying. But prayer is the lifting of the mind and heart to God. That's the definition of prayer from the old catechism. Prayer is the lifting of the heart and mind to God. When I am in a long grocery line where somebody is getting their lucky lotto ticket in front of me, uh, and I know they're never going to get out of there alive, I am not lifting my heart and mind to God. So if 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 someone says to you my whole life is prayer well if they're a great mystic that might be true but I am NOT a great mystic I have to set aside times during the day uh, in which I pray and uh, if I don't do that I'm not praying Uh, the life is meant to be a conversation with God but uh, by saying I'm I'm always praying well that lets me off the hook I, I need structured prayer you know, we're, we're human beings. We need structure. We're built with structure. That's why our nose is in the middle of our face, generally speaking, it's structure. So I don't know. Does that answer your question? It does. It does. Cause I guess it makes yeah. it seem that in any moment of the day, you know, you have your structured prayer and then unstructured is the rest of your day, you know, washing dishes. Yeah. You could lift your mind yeah. to God then, right? Yeah, you can. Okay. I, mem- makes- I remember hearing the story of a, a fellow who asked, uh, asked his uh, confessor, Father, may I smoke while I pray? Oh, oh, no, no, you should never, you know. Well, may I pray while I smoke? Why, of course, the scripture says pray always. (laughs) I think that's funny. (laughs) At any rate, all right, I'll let you go. Who we got? Let me take one more phone call. Dear boy, son, God bless. Thanks so much for calling. Who we got? Who we got? Eli from Lexington. I just got a minute. What can I do for you?
1: Why we refer to Mother Mary Mary, not Miriam. I grew up in the Greek uh, church. We refer to her as Miriam instead of Mary. Well,
0: we will blame the French. (laughs) I used to tell my students... It's always fun to blame the French. I used to tell my students about the time and alcohol principle of language development. Time does, over the long run, for language what alcohol does over the short run. It slurs it. And, you know, the French produce some of the finest wines in the world. Latin, it was slurred into Italian and Spanish and French and Romanian and Portuguese. And so Miriam... became Marie in French which became Mary in English that's why it's it's merely a development of of history and you can continue to call her Miriam because that is closer that is the original you were Church of the East and your first language was uh, uh, Aramaic or Syriac Uh,
1: exactly Syriac
0: Yes, well, then you're speaking the language that Jesus spoke. It's developed a little, but uh, French developed from Latin a lot. So uh, the, the Latins already took the M off because they didn't like ending women's names with an M. It had to end with an A. So Mariam became Maria. <laughs> it's just a matter of historical development. And uh, you guys are right, and we're, we're sort of slurring it. Speaking of being right and not slurring things, Drew is coming up, so... Stay tuned!